The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning, I'm Catherine Zox. I am your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Suzanne Falter, author of Surrendering to Joy, My Year of Love, Letting Go, and Forgiveness. On an August night in San Francisco, a 22-year-old named Teal collapsed from a sudden, unexplainable cardiac arrest. Six days later, she died, but not before a spiritual unfolding began that changed the life of her mother forever. Uh, The book, these essays, each one a personal touch into the divine, chart her mother's path as she confronts painful events she had been holding on to and opens herself up to more joy than she ever possible. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Suzanne. Oh, thanks, Catherine. Pleasure to be here. And as I understand it, you have been for a long time an author, speaker, and blogger, and uh, I guess it's been established you've helped more than two million people find their way back to joy. <laughs> it's probably more than that. It's kind of well, hard to Well, you know, see. it accumulates over the years, and, and people come and people go, and you know, the net's a busy place, as we all know. But Suzanne, you had been writing about joy before your daughter died. Um, You had written several books. So I guess, you know, as a mother, I have a mother of three boys, um, you know, to me and to, I would say, to most parents or to all parents, I mean, the worst thing that could ever happen happened to you. Your 22-year-old daughter um, dies. She suffered from cardiac arrest, as I understand. But how do you get through that? How do you get by that? How can you find joy again? You know, it's so interesting, Catherine, because when that happened, I was already going through a very big transition, and I had just um, left my 25-year marriage and gotten into a different relationship, which suddenly ended, and I had moved in with that person, and then suddenly the the home was gone. I, you know, I, I kind of had lost everything, maybe four months before Teal died, and then her death, which was extremely sudden. I had dinner with her. And then she basically went home and had this cardiac arrest, which, for those who are curious, she had epilepsy. And it's really not known what the cause of her death is, but it's possible that her cardiac arrest was caused um, by a very rare, rare thing that happens in epilepsy sometimes where people just suddenly die. But it's so rare that it was nothing that you expected. I mean, no. it's not like having no, a we sick never child who you've warned time. about this yeah. by any neurologist or anything. I mean, this was a complete shock. So my, my experience was that I walked into the hospital room where she was laying on the, in the hospital bed completely covered with wires and you know, monitors and so forth, and she had been revived and they were trying to save her life, and uh, I just knew this was, she would never be gone. She would probably be more in touch than she was when she was alive, <laughs> 
which is actually true, but that I would really be changed in a very, very positive way by this experience. But when you say, Suzanne, she would be more in touch with you when she, after she died, more in touch with you than before, how, can you talk, explain that? Well, yeah, it's, it's really been a very curious thing. Um, she just started talking to me. Uh, she was in a coma for six days, during which time it was an induced coma. She, she really was probably not able to regain consciousness because she had been without a heartbeat for 30 minutes, and then she was revived. And, you know, with somebody with, who's young with a strong heart, this is possible. So she's in this limbo state. And during that time, she came to me about two days into this process of, you know, by then her dad and her brother had flown back from the East Coast, and we're all in the San Francisco hospital, and I wake up in the middle of the night, and I feel this light, effervescent kind of something around me. And I just felt intuitively it was her. And I said, is that you? And she said, yeah, hi, Mom. <laughs> As if nothing had changed. And I said, well, well what are you doing? And she said, I'm trying to reconcile my heart and my soul. Don't rush me. <laughs> Which was so her, because she got rushed a lot, and she was a very slow and careful and you know, thoughtful person who did not like to rush. And um, she was. She was reconciling whether she was ready to die yet. And then I had this second extraordinary experience, maybe a day later, where I was sitting with her, in her hospital room, her dad and her brother had stepped out, and I felt something shift. She didn't move a muscle. She couldn't. She was totally out. But something changed, and I was holding her hand, and I felt this pure goodness flood down her arm into my body, and I just felt myself really open up and feel light and happy and whole and fulfilled and it was a radiant joy is really the experience I could describe. And I have since talked to other people who've lost children or parents or siblings or friends, and they've described a similar thing. And I felt at that moment it was possible her soul left her body. I don't know. But as I walked around the hospital a little later, and SF General is a hospital filled with all kinds of people, from med students to homeless people to you know, doctors to people from all over the world. And I'm walking around looking at all these people and I'm feeling immense love and connection with every last one of them. And I wander down this hall and I'm sitting on the floor and I have to call one of her friends to tell her that Teal is dying, which is such a shock to everybody. And this gentleman is listening to me and he's a homeless guy and he's, he's there, you know, doing something medical and he came up to me, and he said, I have a daughter. I said, do you? He said, yeah, and, and I'm going to spend time with her. And then we hugged each other. <laughs> it, was, it was so out of the ordinary for what I would be doing in my life. And it was so important to do it. And it was part of the beginning of what I can only call this great unfolding of my resistance to life. And... The reason I have been able to get back to a place of happiness and share that with other people is because I believe this is the healing work that my daughter wanted to do in her lifetime. She really wanted to be a healer. She was completely on the path to do that. And she was very connected through meditation and 
spiritual practice to her concept of the divine and said to me, Mom, in six months, something really big is going to happen that's going to give me a healing gift. I'm going to be able to heal people. And that was just about that amount of time before she died. So this is the question. You know, is it possible to let go of circumstances and just be in the happiness of these experiences. Because but I'm, I'm listening to you, Susanna, and I'm thinking about, well, your daughter, as you describe her, and a spiritual person and having the sense of herself and the sense of herself in relation to you and to being able to express six months from now something's going to happen. But what about the other two million people, as we said, or more, <laughs> and who don't have that kind of, maybe right. their daughter or their son is not spiritual, you know, yeah. comes from a very different place, and so does, do the parents or the... Uh, so how does that work for them? Okay, so thank you for that, because that's a great question. And what I really know to be true is that there is an emotional framework to grief. There is a process we have to move through, and often we resist it. Often we won't let ourselves go down the various rat holes which when you go completely down them will lead you back to forgiveness, to letting go, to not becoming so attached to the story anymore. I mean, after I got off the initial buzz of joy with Teal, I found myself, of course, deep in my grief. And I realized I had a choice. I could either, like, dip a toe in and run away or dip a toe in and put both feet in and stay there and just allow myself to completely surrender. And, and in the process, I wrote my way through it. I, I journaled. I tried to take impeccable care of myself. I just decided to give myself a break to go through this and not force Did you myself say to, yourself, to go back Suzanne, to work. I hate to, because you're saying, I want to just respond to, yeah, did yeah. You say, okay, you're in the grave. I mean, you're at the bottom. You're in the right. pit. Right. So do you, did you just say to yourself, okay, this is the worst it can be. It can't get any worse than this. And so I am going to, so I've got to either I'm stay here or I have to go up and then yeah. figure out how you're going to climb, do that. Yeah. Well, I did. I made a decision. And the decision was for me to wait. I'm a rusher, Catherine. I've plowed through life, forging ahead starting projects, making things happen. I've been a very dynamic business builder and, and business owner. And this was a time where I, my whole body, heart, and soul was asking me to stop. So the first thing I did was I listened to myself. And I really listened to what I needed. And I do think that we often have a very developed sense of obligation to others. Oh, my God, can I really stop? Will it really be okay? And magically, you know, things happen to really support me letting go. And I was able to just roll with it. You know, we have a lot of fear. If I stop, I'll lose prestige. I'll lose my, you know, I might even lose my job if I take a leave to grieve. Or, you know, I might um, lose the respect of people who expect me to show up in a certain way. But I maintain that these grief experiences are transformational and they show up because we are supposed to be changed by them. But if we don't allow ourselves to feed the calling inside of what we need, that change can't happen. And then we get stuck and we stay in the angry, bitter, defeated, depressed story for years on end. 
But there's a so change that's called. We are responsible for the change. Absolutely. We are only. We have to make that choice. Is I, is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and the the change can be trusted. That's the other big piece. The change can be trusted. There is wisdom in the pain, and the pain will tell you where it's going. I knew from the beginning that I was going to get a new body of work out of this. I knew from the beginning that I was going to have to do a lot of work on myself. I knew from the beginning I couldn't do it alone and that I needed support, support network. So I joined various groups, grief groups and 12-step groups and kind of whatever I could find to kind of pull people close to me. You know, and of course I have friends, so I called upon my friends. I was single at the time. I'm, I'm, I'm in a relationship now, but I was single for the first two years of this grieving process. And that was very powerful because I was always one to run into relationships and hang on like, help me, help me get through this, that, or the other thing. And I could hear Teal saying from the afterlife, do this alone. Do this alone because you need to get your mojo back, Mom. You know? And that's, that's true. We do sometimes need people deep in relationship, and sometimes we need to be alone. But the well, one of the things I think you mentioned is some of the lessons that you learned along the way. This struck me. Uh, falling apart, and that's the word, falling <laughs> apart, and after a lifetime of keeping it together. Just yeah. let yourself fall apart. Stop hanging on. And it feels good. It's kind of freeing. Yeah. I can understand that. It's just like, okay, it's over. I don't have to hold on to everything. And that kind of frees you. To, not kind of, it does free you. Yeah, well, I'd like to be a model to people for the value of falling apart because I really did. I had a successful business and I just let go of it completely. I had a big income. I let go of it completely. I completely downsized everything. I started, I, I moved in with a friend, you know, who wasn't going to charge me any rent. And I cooked some meals for her. We had a lovely time. You know, I, I put my, my things in storage. I got rid of a lot of stuff. And I just, it was what felt right. It was what felt right in my heart it was just to completely let go of all my attachment to the way I had lived. And, and this is what falling apart is. Falling apart may be that for some people, and it may be uh, becoming very still and putting everything on hold. Whatever it is, you cannot go on the way you have gone on because something is asking you to stop, and it can be trusted. That's the big message. Your heart and your soul will always guide you back to the right thing. And, Suzanne, you know, when you this happened to you, you lost your daughter, uh, and other tragedies happened to people. Um, but one of the things, how did you handle other people? Because I think that friends or relationships or partners or even coworkers, parents don't want you to let go, and there's always that pull to get you kind of back into <laughs> where you back to work, back to doing what you did before. So yeah. I think, and that's always there. How did you handle that? Yeah, and you know, that's a real question that I've heard come up in grief groups among other parents who've lost kids, because it's very, very hard for friends to understand the sacredness of letting go. You know, I, I mean, for me, I just had to, I mean, I kept wanting to. I kept wanting to go back and engage the way I had been, and I remember, I, you know, I'm into hiking, so I kept signing up for all these hikes, and every last one of them, I couldn't show up because I couldn't handle it. I was just going to show up and cry the whole time or I was going to show up and feel totally overwhelmed and have to leave. And I mean, mind you, I am a person who has always been, you know, dynamic, the leader, powerful, strong, together, and here I was, incapable. And this, Catherine, this went on for a year and a half. 
it didn't just kind of end after a tidy three months. People would say to me, come to the conference. I really want to see you there. Come on, we're going to get you back in the game. And I'd have to say, no, I, I can't really do it. You know, on the Double Fantasy album, John Lennon wrote a song about how people want him to get back in the game and he's not doing it. And, and it is like that. It is like that. It's that experience of being brave enough to say to the world, just, just you go do your thing. I need, to, I need to protect myself and stay close to my heart. And, you know, again, it's critical that it be checked in with your inner guidance. You can't just go out and be out in the world and be doing things when you, when you really don't want to. And you just have to say to friends, I can't handle it. And those who don't understand... They may drift away, and that's okay, too. Was there anyone who did help you that you would look to and say, you know, during that time when you were going through all of this, that there was someone at some point who was really helpful, who really gave you the the emotional support that you needed in in the right doses? Yeah, um, I found those people in groups. You know, I found I found them in, and I I did some 12-step recovery work, which I hadn't done since my 20s. But I went back to those groups because I needed an instant friend network of spiritual people, and I knew I could find them there. And, of course, there are many different types of 12-step groups, right? And uh, those, those folks were incredibly supportive, and some in particular I could call them any time, and they would really talk me through it. And then I found that I was able to support them with whatever they were going through, and we were all standing in these places of being broken and having to come back. And I found this in my grief group as well. You know, you can go to, when you lose a kid or a parent or something, you can go to the local hospice and get free counseling often um, for your loss, whether that person was involved in the hospice or not. And I was very fortunate to have a good hospice counselor for free and a good hospice grief group. And, And, you know, then you're with people who really are in the trenches and they really understand how it is. And sometimes... I needed to have that experience reflected to me so I could really understand what I was going through because I had denial about all of it. I was like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know, and of course I wasn't. And, ah, yeah, I'm ready to go back to work, of course I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. You just have to let it keep unfolding. And now, now I've been, um, you know, slowly emerging and becoming more and more out in the world, and I have not rushed myself, and I have not forced myself. I've really been listening acutely to my inner voice, my little inner voice telling me what to do. Well, one thing you you said um, is, and I want to, I guess this is a quote from you, but when we allow it in, joy is available 24-7, and people, I can imagine, 24-7, are you kidding? How can I be (laughs) joyful 24-7? I'm lucky if I'm joyful once a week. And that's the other thing. You describe joy as an innate. Joy is innate. It's not like you're happy that you won an award or you're happy. That's more external, right? The joy is really something that comes from within, and you can... Maintain that 24-7? How do you do that? All right. So the premise I'm, I'm talking about is the idea that back there in the background, behind all of the other emotional experiences, is joy. It is our birthright. It is our birth state. And when you spend time with infants, if they're having a moment where the diaper's good, they've had a nap, they're full up on milk, it's just joy. It's not, you know, it's sometimes curiosity, but it's, but it's a deep contentment. And that joy is, in, in its essence, a deep contentment, which 
when you get back to it, is always there. And it's what is way down at the bottom under the grief, the pain, the fear, the anxiety, the despair, the panic, the confusion. You know, all of those emotional experiences are like the stuff on top. And for me, the joy is the bedrock underneath. It's the foundation. It's what we're built from. And when we allow ourselves to move through these emotional experiences without resisting them, they do lift, they do open up, you know, that's why falling apart is such a critical thing. And there's so much lip service given to it, but people are still so afraid of it. You know, it's like, yeah, I just have to go have a good cry. Well, it's true. And you may have to cry for a couple of days. You may have to cry for a week. And on the other side of crying for a week, you are going to feel fantastic because you will have let go of something that has really troubled you that you may have not wanted to touch. That's really, that's really the access to the joy. Yeah. Well, I think the unknown is terrifying as you're describing it, <laughs> but once you are able to let go, you can do it. I think the pure joy, as you were talking, I think, and you mentioned the, the, inf- the baby, um, I think nursing, baby, nursing my three boys yeah. was pure joy. Yeah. And I, I think sitting in the chair nursing my, the babies, that was just pure joy, yeah. kind of that apex of of joy, I guess. Um, yeah, totally, yeah, I, totally. Yeah, and, yeah. and let me tell you, I'm not walking around like pure joy 24-7. I'm I, saying <laughs> it's available 24-7. Yeah. It's not going to be like you go through your pain, your grief, your, your angst, and then, you know, you're like, okay, Joy, hey, where to go? It's not like yeah. that. Well, what are some of the times, you know, you're saying, yes, you can't always access it every minute, but what are some of the most difficult times? I mean, things that re- remind you of Teal or people who are, maybe that makes you feel better, or what are, can you <laughs> talk about some of the things that perhaps bring you back and take, you know, you don't feel joyful, you get into yeah. feeling you know, low or sad. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, you happen to reach me as I've returned to my former home where, where my ex-husband and I raised our children, our son Luke and our daughter Teal. And um, I was invited back by my ex-husband to create a um, photography exhibit out of his work. He is a fine art photographer uh, using photographs from their childhoods. A whole set of pictures about Teal, about 30 pictures. And it's really been interesting this week because a couple of times we picked out a picture that was so the essence of her, we just both broke down and sobbed. And we had to really cry for about five minutes, just full-on sobbing. And, you know, then it was just like, okay, carry on. <laughs> I, it's, it really sounds strange, but if you just let yourself really feel it, don't go into those platitudes about, i got to get it together here. Just let yourself fall apart just for like a mini fall apart. You move through it. And, and you know, after a few minutes, we blew our noses and we, we, we were able to pick up and carry on. And not only that, we both felt more connected to what we were doing, and more and more progress happened as a result of that. It's well, just, does this lead to the, your us, you know? statement about crisis? And I'm reading this one: crisis are simply springboards to happiness in disguise. I like that one. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean that's what I'm talking about here: is using these meltdowns, these you know moments when life falls apart, to reinvent. And for me. I had to go through a critical reinvention of my whole way of being. I had to start allowing life to show up and guide me instead of pushing and forcing. That's been the biggest lesson for me. And life is 
showing up and showing me what to do. Um, you know, that, that, is, that is my lesson, and other people will have other lessons. My former husband's lesson, totally different from mine. You know, your lesson from any crisis you may go through, it's personal and it's specific to the experience. And if you go with it and you allow yourself to be changed and you notice the change and you stay conscious and maybe you do some journaling or speaking or talking into a, a, a recorder or, you know, whatever you do to capture an awareness of what this change is, the more you can feel into it, the more you can allow it, and then you really can begin to develop a life that I consider to be in alignment. You know, it's all about getting back to this alignment where you're, you really feel good in your body. You know, one thing Teal talked about a lot in the last year of her life was how wise her body was and how her body was always telling her what was out of whack and what wasn't. You know, if you have this strange back pain, you know, that, that informs you and that gets in there, it may be that there's something not expressed. It may be that you're forcing yourself to do something you don't really want to do or be around somebody who drives you crazy. You know, if you feel anxious in the job you're doing, it may be that there's some requests you need to make that would give you something you need that you don't have. If you feel afraid, oh, chronically afraid, every time you, say, get on an airplane, it may be that something else is a better approach to that kind of travel, or perhaps the travel itself is an issue. I mean, there's, there's awareness that is deep in the body, just like that bedrock of joy, that is always guiding us, always telling us where to go, always bringing us forth in a safe way if we listen. Well, you've done that, obviously, through your book, Surrendering to Joy. We only have a few more minutes, but my year of love, letting go, and forgiveness, Suzanne Falter, you can buy it bookstores everywhere, online, Kindle, Amazon. Amazon. But you also have a website so we can find out. I was taking that joy test. Or taking part, you can take a joy test, right? You can be, um, but, or part of it, right? Um, Does your life pass the joy test? So tell us about that. What do we do? We go online. I created a quiz which is really just a reflective quiz. It's just something that allows you to kind of Feel into where you're at right now. You score it. I don't score it. I don't know you. <laughs> you know you. So you go in, you answer the questions, and you begin to make your own assessment, listening to yourself, listening to your heart and soul, finding out a little bit more about what you want and need right now. I mean, this is quiet work. This isn't a whole lot of uh, fancy bells and whistles. This is returning to the part of the self that is seldom heard from. This, this quiet soul always telling us what we need to know. We, we want to not listen. We want to eat more cupcakes. We want to work harder. We want to have a few more martinis. Whatever it is, we want to do that thing that will not change our life. But sometimes that change is so called for, it's just aching to be released. And I want to say for people who are grieving, actively grieving a loss or the end of a job, a career, a marriage, a death, you know, this is your opportunity to look at your life and reinvent it in, in memory of what that person brought to you or, or in gratitude to what that job or relationship might have been. It's your opportunity to really move forth in a, in a way that really makes life more fun. 
You know, that's the really incredible thing that's come out of this for me. It's just simply more fun to be me. And it's okay to be have more fun. I think, (laughs) and you have to let yourself have more fun. And you said you now you have a uh, you're in a another a new relationship or not new relationship, but a relationship. um, I assume you mentioned it earlier. Yeah, positive relationship. Fairly new relationship, actually. That's true. And 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 such a such a perfect fit for me, you know. And and what I've learned is, I didn't have to go find it. It found me. I didn't have to go push. I didn't have to, like, go be strategic in an Internet dating site and, like, package myself and all that. What I had to do was make the changes in my life to become the person I really wanted to be. I had to understand my values. I had to understand what makes me tick. I had to take care of my needs. So I did that for two years. And then, lo and behold, I found this perfect person. Yeah, well, I think that has... And I don't think most people, I, I, I'm generalizing, I don't think most people do that, um, take the time to find out who they are. And if they don't do that, then it's very difficult to make the right choice for a, a, yeah. a, part, yeah, for a partner. To, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree, Catherine. And I, and I think part of it is that we don't want to take the time to do it. We think we don't have the time to do it. But, hey, who's designing our life? <laughs> who's, keeping, who's keeping the big logbook, you know? Anything that we need to have happen can happen. I do know that. And, and I, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I haven't got enough money to take time off or I haven't got enough this or I haven't got enough that. Everything is given to us when we open up and we ask to, be, to really be shown, you know, what is the way. And it might be a spiritual message for us. It might be just our intuitive guidance. Sometimes that's how we roll. We prefer to listen to the small, still voice within, but everybody's got one. And this is not a spiritual conversation as much as a conversation with you and your soul. You know, that part of you that has really guided you here and will determine each step of the way. Because that's really what I say, is the change is there waiting for you to make it if you're going through something. And it will show you what needs to happen. It will guide you if you allow it. But sometimes we find that letting go is so hard to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm right there. I'm like the poster girl for hanging on with, you know, bloody knuckles trying to, <laughs> trying to maintain the old status quo and uh, couldn't do it. You know, I actually worked after my daughter died. I worked for the next two months until finally a really good friend said, you have to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's understandable, though. That doesn't sound so uh, kind of off base to me, because you immerse yourself in something that you know how to do it, and you do it, and you don't have to think about all of these things that we've been talking about. Um, it just allows you to kind of go through what they say, go through the motions, mm-hmm. and not really getting anywhere. So yes, and it was exactly that experience. I was I had been starting a new business when she died, so I went ahead and launched it, and it was it was not a super successful launch. And, and the people who joined me in the program I was teaching were basically saying, well, we care about you and we followed you and we want to make sure you're okay. <laughs> that was totally not what I wanted to be doing for these people. I wanted to be giving to them, but I had nothing to give. And, that, and then when it was suggested to me that I could actually take a few months off, oh, my God, the, the heavens opened and I felt so much better. And I just went to bed and, and I remember I cried for about two weeks straight and after two months, I said, you know, I think I'll do this about two or three months longer. And then it went into a year, and it just kept going. And during that time, all these things happened that supported me to make this shift. 
and and I, I just had to believe that it was really what I needed to be able to be able to have, say, this conversation right now. You know, this is really the work I've been guided to, and I couldn't have gone there if I hadn't let go and if I hadn't allowed myself to fall apart. Now, you have a son, mm-hmm. and is, was he older or younger than Teal? He is... Uh, he was uh, four years younger. He's 20 years old now. Teal died when she was 22 in uh, 2012. And he's a, uh, he's a college student and taking a year off to be a farmer. He's an agricultural guy. He's interested in environmental, environmental science and very proud of him. Wonderful guy. Yeah, and I, because siblings obviously um, have their own grief I mean, whatever. I mean, their relationship is different than a parent, mm-hmm. and I just wondered, like, the relationship that, or how that was for him, and how you were with him, you know, when you were going through all of this. Because, yeah. you know, as a parent, sometimes one is trying to be supportive of, let's say, in this case, uh, Teal's brother, um, and yet you don't have the strength or the, even the wherewithal to be able to do that. So, how was that for you and for him? Well, he was he was uh, just eighteen when she died, and he was old enough that he really fell into that category of older kids need space to do their own thing. And so, you know, we actually checked in with with friends who knew about these things, who reassured us, you know, Luke's going to handle this the way he does, and he did. And he wasn't real interested in talking a lot about it and processing a lot with us, and we gave him space and really trusted the idea that he would be able to find his way through it and that if he wanted to talk about it, we were here and we made some resources available. And it was sort of like, no, I got, I got this on my own. And um, I think we did do a couple of things. Now, my ex-husband and I live 3,000 miles away from each other, and we are still close friends. And we, I come back and visit, and we uh, get along just fine. And, and what we did was we made decisions about spending things like the holidays in different ways. Last year, we went to Paris for our holiday, and um, I was there. I had taken two months, <laughs> yet another magical thing. I took two months to go live there, and I met, found a way to do it incredibly inexpensively, just through friends of friends and, you know, Airbnb and this and that. And I found my way to... Uh, a place where it looked like it would be a good fit for them to come join me, and they did, and we did a totally different kind of a Christmas. And it was really about exploring this interesting city, and it wasn't about the old tradition and somebody's missing, you know. And um, this year we'll probably do it differently, where we'll get together in the old home that we all lived in, and and uh, my, my uh, new relationship will be with me, and... And, you know, everything will be different in that respect. It's like, it's like we're trying to allow the difference. We are allowing the difference to be there. We acknowledge Teal sometimes. We've got her picture on the mantle. And she, she joins us in some sort of uh, <laughs> quiet way. And, uh, you know, not all of us are tuned into her. Not all of us need to be or care or, or have that belief. Everybody's just got to do their own thing. That's a critical thing because we encourage Luke to really take what he needed, and he has. I think what you said is important, and I know it's funny how people, I think, fight against this, but when you're talking about you have a holiday, you can have whatever your holiday is, whether it's Mm -hmm. Christmas or whatever it is, 
and do it in a different way, and we're reluctant to do that. We'd rather sit around the table with an empty chair where the person used to sit and, and, and just and, and be, you know, uh, miserable rather than to, you went to Paris. You don't necessarily have to go to Paris. You can just do something completely <laughs> well, different. that's right. That's yeah, right. and um, it makes such a difference. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I'm divorced. They tell you to, after a divorce, don't sit there, you know, you know, having a table there for dad when he's not here yeah. or, or, you know, yeah. vice versa. So uh, it, it sounds simple, but that, that's a really, really, I think, important piece, doing things differently because things are different and to acknowledge that. Yeah. I mean, you know, Catherine, it's, it's the letting go. Mm-hmm. And that's why the book has got the subtitle, My Year of Letting Go, you know, because... I had to let go of the idea that the only way you can do Christmas is X, Y, Z, right? And, um, in fact, I was already reinventing the holidays after I'd left and moved from Vermont to California, and then suddenly I'm in this strange city. I don't really have a lot of friends. I'm finding my way into a whole new life. And, and I remember there was a Thanksgiving where I had nothing. I, had no, I didn't have any friends. And um, I didn't have anybody to celebrate Thanksgiving with, and I wasn't really able to come back and visit the family. So... I found a homeless soup kitchen and I served Thanksgiving dinner to the homeless. And I had never done anything like that. And it ended up being incredibly fun. And I had all these interesting conversations with people and the guys organizing it were fabulous. And and I've done it a number of times since then as a result. It's like, you know, you stumble upon things that can become the new reality. And, and, but it requires a willingness to just not know how it's going to be and get out of the story. You know, we have such a big story sometimes when life doesn't go our way about, hey, you know, she did X, Y, Z to me, or he really showed up like a jerk, and how am I supposed to blah, blah. We plug ourselves into a hole that is deep and hard to get out of when we really believe this, this angry story. And you know you're in your story when it's really charged with, anger or, or anxiety or, or desperation or drama, you know, that story is just something you decided about that situation. And I think this is maybe one of the most important points. I don't mean for people to circumvent their grief because I do feel you really have to go through the emotional experience of the grieving and the letting go. But on the other side of it, you have to be willing to rewrite the story. Mm-hmm. Write a new script. Exactly. Write a new play. Yeah. And try things. For Pete's sakes, you may, you may want to write ten scripts before you get the one that really works. What would you say was one of your biggest mistakes when you realized, no, wait, this isn't right. I'm rewriting my script. <laughs> I'm trying to change. I'm I evolving. I dating. But... You know, I did some dating. And um, I really, you know, I hadn't really dated for 25 years. This was all new. That's scary. And, yeah. And um, I, got into, I got into a relationship that was a little crazy, and I really had to get out of it. And it got, you know, it, it kind of got one of those things where I saw, oh, my God, I have all these needy habits that I just, like, plugged right in here. And I realized I had to back off, take myself away, put myself, you know, in a quiet place and finish my grieving process and not rush into anything. And I did. And uh, that was very valuable. But it was painful. It was really painful, and it caused pain to another person. So, you know, when you make mistakes like that, I, I mean, when I make mistakes like that, it's new for me to forgive myself and say, you know what, you're learning. You're just learning. You're trying things. You're experimenting. You're, you're going out and dipping your toe into life, and you may dip it into the wrong pool a few times, and that's okay. And maybe you have to do that to get to the right 
Oh. Yeah. Okay, so now you are at the right pool. So now tell us about your new relation, or your relationship with them. <laughs> Very positive, and uh, and how you got there, and um, how that yeah. works for you now. Yeah. Well, this is the crazy thing, Catherine, because what I really haven't gotten into in this conversation is that when I left my marriage, I came out as a lesbian, and I really changed everything and, and everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, a little, a little unusual at age fifty. Can I just say that? Yeah. Um, but uh, well, I have to backtrack. I, I'm not so sure that's so unusual. I've interviewed quite a few women now really? who have mothers, grandmothers, who are twenty, twenty-five years later, and also I have a friend in that same position who, at that point, realized that they were lesbians and ended their relationships with fifteen, twenty-year marriages. So, why? Yeah, maybe, I mean, you know, uh, thanks for saying that because. Yeah. I have met quite a few formerly married women and um, have dated them, too. You know, people who were with men and then just decided they really wanted to be with women. The great thing about being in, um, in the lesbian community, and there are, of course, lesbian communities all over the world, uh, maybe more in some countries than others, but, you know, you are able to find some kindred spirits. And yet, when I first started dating women after I moved to San Francisco... Um, I really found my mother stuff came up, you know, my old issues with my mother. And that was part of what guided my, you know, first kind of attempt to really have a relationship, which really started off in a not great way and with a, a really interesting woman, but it, it really was a flawed thing. And we were trying to work out our mother stuff with each other, and I had to go and do a lot of work on that. That was part of my transformation over the last few years. Now, you know, I mean, this is a crazy thing, too, because... I am a psychically guided person in that I love to work with psychics and get information, and then I sometimes it shows up and things really happen. And yeah, I wouldn't call myself super dependent, but I did make friends with a wonderful psychic in the U- UK named Joanne Gregory, and Joanne um, gave me a reading in April of this year, and she she said, "Wow, I see this big relationships coming, and you've been waiting for this for many years." and She's here, and, and, and her name is Rachel. And, um, you know, and she mentioned her profession. And I was really like, whoa, really? Rachel, are you sure? So I start going on dates, and I've got to ask everybody's name the minute I, <laughs> the minute I go to a party and meet anybody. <laughs> and uh, nope, nope, not her, nope, not her, you know. And lo and behold, I went to a party, and there was a woman named Rachel, and the profession lined up perfectly, and she was exactly as she was described, and... Now we've been together, we've been dating for five months, and we'll see how this goes. I mean, That's uncanny. It, it's Not only is it uncanny, it's a great relationship so far. We've really been uh, having a wonderful and, and, and terrific time with each other, and, and uh, she too has been through some things. So, you know, she really well, understands what, what my deal is, and pretty much on the exact same path, except for the loss of a child, because she had no children, but... Well, you mentioned, and I don't know if this is the same for her, Rachel, but uh, you're because I'm interested in this as well. But we're talking about relationships, and we're talking actually about women's relationships. But um, your relationship with your mother. Now, I had seen somewhere, I think, on the net, your mother was not. Is she still alive? Or my she, mother actually died six months after Teal to the hour. I mean, that was kind of wild too. My mother was 94 and had severe dementia, so she was ready to die and was in real discomfort. You know, it was one of those deaths that's a blessing, essentially. 
And, um, you know, I had a really powerful experience of forgiveness with my mother at the end of her life, which happened about, I guess the letting go of my mother happened, well, there were two meetings with her, and the last one was just after Teal died. I actually went to visit her to see if I could share the information about Teal's death with her in a way that she would be able to understand, which she couldn't really understand it. She wasn't really sure who Teal was. But... We had this amazing encounter where we sat with each other for hours, and we really didn't talk. Maybe it was, a, maybe it was more like an hour and a half, because she's you know, quite old and frail, not, not too much energy. But we just looked at each other with so much love, Catherine, and I felt my old story about my mother starting to dissolve. And, of course, I had just lost Teal, and I was filled with that kind of spiritual... Um, I would call it a, 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 a kind of reconnaissance, you know, where you go mm-hmm. out and you look over your life like, what's not okay here? And you really start to make changes when something dramatic like this happens. Your, your radar is on. And I, I could feel that I was no longer willing to have that angry story about my mother. Because my mother was a suicidal alcoholic. I mean, she was a... All your life? I mean, even mother. when you were younger? Yes. And she was a very tough mother and very, very hard person to be the child of. But she did have a core of love, and she was just so troubled it was hard for her to get back to it. But in that place at the end of her life, I was able to feel great compassion for her and love. And we really reconnected in this wordless way. She could no longer talk, and we were just having this connection. And I do think that that's where it's possible to forgive people who have done you wrong, you know? I mean, that is what's possible. That forgiveness, it's like the joy. It's always there. But are we really going to go there? Well, I don't know. So-and-so did X, Y, Z, and then we got the lawyers involved. And, you know, man, it gets complicated, right? It does. But I'm thinking, Suzanne, what you had to go through to, I mean, your mother's 93, 95 years My old. and. Yeah, so that was obviously a lifetime, and also the tragedy, and what you, I mean, you had just lost your daughter, so are people able, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking about what you said, it's not easy to do, that, that I I don't think, or in my experience, even uh, with uh, clients and and personal, to to really let go of all that stuff, that's that's very difficult, to rewrite that script, as you're saying, or to forgive. Ah, I know, and and talking about it in terms of rewriting a script is, is, in some ways, a disservice because it really describes it as something you can consciously do. And I do think you can consciously attempt and become conscious of it, but you have to do the inner work of self-forgiveness because that's where the whole thing begins to really change. I, you know, I didn't know how to really take care of myself when Teal died. I knew how to go to get a massage after I'd been you know, compulsively working for weeks on end, and I knew how to... you know. Uh, rigidly go off sugar after, you know, <laughs> and totally overindulging. I knew how to do these kind of compulsive leaps towards self-care, but I didn't know how to really maintain a steady sort of lightly burning candle of of wholeness in my life. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I mean, you're very competent person and able to do what you have to do to maintain yourself, and that you did really well. But digging deeper with the real stuff, the emotional stuff, that's, that's yeah. yeah, that's yeah. not. And, and, and I do think that the self-forgiveness 
that came out of this forgiving my mother helped me become a more grounded, sane, calm, slowed down, grounded person. I mean, I have no idea what the rest of my life is going to look like. I'm, you know, I'm building a new business and I'm, you know, in, involved in things, but I can really feel that I am not the same person I used to be. And I, one of the real, yeah. the real hallmarks is I feel vulnerable all the time. And I know that people listening to this may be like, oh, my God, don't make me go there. You know? yeah. Right. I'm going to stick to my denial. I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going to feel vulnerable all the time. Don't be. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, right? But yeah. it's what makes my relationship work. I'll say that. It's, uh-huh. um, being, being more vulnerable allows me to open up and really receive another person's love. Uh-huh. What, I'm going to ask, how old are you? I'm uh, 55, almost 56. Do you think that helps? Like yeah. just the aging process. I mean, you're talking about opening up to another person, for instance, and mm-hmm. being vulnerable. That, and I'm I'm not saying taking away from everything that you've done, obviously, but do, in some way, aging can help you to do that too. You get have a different perspective. I was just talking about this yesterday because I think it's so true. Yeah. Um, you know, ten years ago, I wouldn't have been capable of having the insights about myself and my level of self forgiveness and so forth that I had have had in the last two years because I just wasn't mature enough. I do believe that we keep maturing and growing all our lives and that we do have the capacity to just become a fulfilled whole person more and more if we allow it as we age. And, and you know, I, I could never, I'm actually dating an older woman, and I could never have dated somebody younger than me because I really need that, that core wisdom that comes with age. I really need it. Older? What, what do we talk? I always want to know what older oh, she's, is. Uh, she's uh, seven years older, and I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying that. And, uh, <laughs> well, you'll find out after yes, the I show. Will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I understand that older. That, yeah, I, I'm. I would not want to be with anyone younger necessarily, but um, yeah, I think it does. There, there's something about the aging process that allows you, if you allow it. To, to open up, and you have a bigger picture, don't you? I mean, the, you just have a bigger, or the picture is a lot bigger than it was when you were 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, and not only do I have a bigger picture, I have so much more appreciation <clears throat> for my process, for other people, for their processes. I feel like one of the things that's happened that's been so great is I've been able to relax my own perfectionism and therefore everybody else's. Like, I used to have to show up perfectly or I was not happy. And everybody else was going to have to, too. What a limited, difficult, demanding way to live on myself and all the people around me. And, um, you know, the greatest thing happened. I relaxed my standards and the world didn't end. Oh, my God. It's okay. It's okay to be kind of normal, you know. I don't have to be a superstar tomorrow. I don't have to be a high-pressure person who makes everything brilliant. I can be me, and I can take time for myself, and I can show up imperfectly, and I can make mistakes, and I can become whole again in the process of self-forgiveness. That is, I mean, I think that's such a great message for everybody. I think there's so much pressure not to do that, yeah. um, not just within our families, but even, even with you know, social media. I was talking to a, a young woman the other day, and she said, I don't even like to go on Facebook because I feel like 
I'm just not doing what I should be doing. Everybody's there and they're accomplishing and I see what they're doing and they're smiling and they're, they've, you know, business-wise and family-wise. She said, I, I really stopped looking at my Facebook page. <laughs> and I understand that. Makes me feel less than. I tell, and, and, you know, that's like all these courses that teach you how to make $100,000 in 10 minutes and, you know, <laughs> write your novel in a weekend. <laughs> I mean, it really plays to that part of us that is never satisfied with what we've got now. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a, there's a, an, I write about this in Surrendering to Joy. There's a, um, there's like a, I call it the gaping maw. And there's this gaping maw that is this pit of, you know, this black vortex of emptiness. And that we just have to fill it now. And, yeah. and the more perfectionism and strokes and, and you know, praise and compliments and satisfaction and awards. Oh, my God, the maw. The maw will fill. The maw will never fill. The maw is insatiable. And because it's insatiable, it's always asking for more. And it's not until we sort of go, ah, who cares about the empty maw? (laughs) The hungry maw can go do its thing, and I'm going to be imperfect, and I'm not going to fill that hungry maw today, and I'm going to relax and see what life has to offer me. Just relax. Well, then it all gets very quiet. And then the maw actually stops because you're no longer trying to keep up with it. It will eventually just be less relevant. That's been one of my favorite, favorite unfoldings out of this process is I don't have to be a star. So excited about that, Catherine. <laughs> you don't have to be, Suzanne, but in spite of yourself, in spite of yourself, I have to say, you are a star. You're coming, you're a star maybe in a different way. The star Perhaps. is shining differently, but you are, you're kind of that, you are that kind of person. Oh, I mean, think a, about. That is a great, great thing you just said. Because the truth of the matter is, I feel really satisfied by, by things like this conversation. I feel so satisfied that I got to be Teal's mother for 22 years. I feel so excited to just spend a little time with my boy, you know? I feel so happy to just be in a new relationship. It's like these are things that, you know, heck, you can, can you really say I'm so happy that I knew my daughter and then she died? Well, yes, because I got 22 years with an amazing person. She was just extraordinary. That's not bad. No, I'll that's take the it. good stuff. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Yeah. It's really yeah. Good. Well, this has been a great conversation, oh. and I am so glad I got to interview you this morning. Oh, um, thank you. I really appreciated it. So we want to make sure that everybody can, you know, continue with the conversation by just, you know, reading your book, Surrendering to Joy, My Year of Love, Letting Go and Forgiveness, Suzanne Falter, mm-hmm. and your website. And or, and or websites, are there one or two that no, they can go to? Um, well, there's two things. There's Surrendering to Joy, uh, excuse me, um, SuzanneFalter.com, F-A-L-T-E-R. But there's also a free Facebook group where you can drop in and engage with us. If you're going through something and you want some online moral support, it's free. Just send me a request to join. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash back to joy. Great. Okay, I think everybody has that. And um, so you can go to suzannefalter.com. Yep. And you can take the joy test. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you like the joy yes, test. Yes, I did. Everybody should take the joy test. Um, 
We have to say goodbye. All right. Yeah, yeah we only have a, a it was, great conversation. I adore yeah, it. it was a great conversation. Uh, it was a, really a pleasure to interview you. And um, as I say, I recommend everybody read the book. Thanks so much Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. And I've been talking to Suzanne Falter, author of Surrendering to Joy. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. 